Welcome to Northfield Christian Fellowship. My name is Micah, and turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians, chapter 4 today. We've been in this book of Colossians for several weeks now. Today we plan to finish up our study of this incredible letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. During the Civil War, after the Battle of Gettysburg in 1863, President Lincoln addressed the nation in his famous Gettysburg Address. And his closing remarks were unforgettable. We still quote them today. He said, this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom in that government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from this earth. Profound words to wrap up his message. John F. Kennedy, in his inaugural speech in 1961, one of his closing remarks was, and so my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. That's how you wrap up a message, isn't it? You leave your audience with a line that they'll never forget. The Apostle Paul doesn't typically do that in his letters, though. Paul's letters are so packed with theology that by the time he gets to his closing remarks, he just kind of fades out. He gives greetings. He says, grace be with you. The end. That's pretty much Paul's style, and we're going to see that today in the book of Colossians. But Paul does include one line at the end that for the Colossian church would be unforgettable. Before we get to our passage today, let me pray. Oh Lord God, you are holy. I ask that as we wrap up this great book, that we would be touched over the theme that is central throughout every word of this letter. That is your son, Jesus, and his preeminence, his supremacy, his holiness, his sovereignty, the fact that he is our Lord God, Savior. We love you, Lord. We pray this in your son's name, amen. Read with me Paul's closing remarks in the book of Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 2, and we'll read to the end. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and, how, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers and for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. 
Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Eropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha in the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read from the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. In verse 2, at the beginning of what we read, Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer. In other words, be devoted in prayer. Don't stop. This is the message that Paul routinely commands in his letters. He told the Ephesian church to be praying at all times in the Spirit. He told the Thessalonian church to pray without ceasing. Because apparently you and I aren't the only slackers when it comes to praying. Even the early Christians needed to hear this. Many of us pray only when we feel like it or only when there's a great need. We're not steadfast. We're sporadic at best in our prayers. And so we need to hear Paul's words to continue steadfastly in prayer because prayer is not to be our last resort. It's to be our first resort resort, our primary line of communication for living as Christians. John Bunyan, the writer of Pilgrim's Progress, he said, pray often, for prayer is a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge to Satan. Pray steadfastly, Paul says. We're also to pray with thanksgiving. Second part of verse 2, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. But what if you have nothing to be thankful for? You always have something to be thankful for. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. You always have something to be thankful for. And I'm not making light of your circumstances. I know some of you are going through tough times, poor health, tragic family situations, depression, unemployment, you name it. Our lives in this world are full of hardship. But you always have something to be thankful for. If you are a Christian... You have been chosen by the Father, purchased by the blood of our Savior, and sealed permanently by the Holy Spirit. You are a new creation with eternity in the very presence of holy God awaiting you. You always have something to be thankful for. Paul wrote this letter while in chains as a prisoner, and he began this letter saying, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. This is a completely different message, different type of prayer from the self-centered prayers that people often pray. Many of us have lost any sort of reverence for God. Instead of thanking Him, we blame Him. 
We use prayer as a means to rub the genie in the bottle. We really only want God for what he can give us, not for who he is. And when he doesn't give us what we want, we walk away from him frustrated. Praying with thanksgiving means we are to focus on him, not us. We worship him, not ourselves. We take joy in the fact that he is God. He is sovereign. And he is good, even when our circumstances are not good. We pray with thanksgiving because we always have something to be thankful for. Verse 3, at the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison. Scripture tells us to pray for all sorts of people. We pray for ourselves. We pray for our neighbors. We pray for those in need. Here in verse 3, we see that we are also to pray for those who are proclaiming the gospel. Pray also for us, Paul says, that God may open to us a door, an opportunity for sharing Jesus. Notice that Paul does not ask for the door to his prison to be open. He asks for a door of opportunity to spread the gospel to be open. Because Paul was more concerned about spreading the gospel than he was his own circumstances. It's not that he didn't care about his own circumstances, but he cared more about declaring what he called the mystery of Christ. Here's this word again, mystery. This is now the fourth time that Paul has used this word in this letter to the Colossians. Paul uses the word mystery to show that the message once hidden under the old covenant has now been revealed in the new covenant. Under the old covenant, forgiveness and salvation were elusive. They were a mystery. The people sacrificed animals. They celebrated certain holy days and festivals. But none of these things truly brought forgiveness and salvation. But under the new covenant, the mystery is revealed. The mystery is Jesus. Jesus is our source of forgiveness. Jesus is our source of salvation. And not just for the Jewish people, but also for the Gentiles, the outsiders, like the people in the church in Colossae. And like you and me, that's the mystery now solved. Jesus is our source of forgiveness and salvation. It's the reason why Paul is in prison. And Paul wants prayer so that he may declare this mystery well. We see it in verse 4, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Paul's chief concern isn't for a better life. It's for a better delivery, that he might proclaim the message of Jesus in the clearest way possible. Pray steadfastly, pray with thanksgiving, and pray for us. That's Paul's instruction. Paul doesn't tell us just how to pray. He also tells us how to walk. In verse 5, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. In wisdom. What's wisdom? The book of Proverbs tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
The fear of the Lord, the reverence of God, the acknowledgement that God is the all-powerful, all-capable, all-knowing, ever-present king over all that exists. This fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because when we fear God, we no longer fear anything else. The fear of the Lord is also the beginning of wisdom because the Lord is the very source of wisdom. Earlier in chapter 2 of Colossians, we read that in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And here in verse 5, Paul tells us to walk in wisdom toward outsiders because how we act gives credibility to what we say. When I walk in foolishness, my words are no longer credible. So walking in wisdom means that we're careful not to say or do anything that would hinder our witness. And time is of the essence. Look at the second part of verse 5, making the best use of the time. We often live as though we have plenty of time. That's why we procrastinate. I'll do it later. I'll get to it tomorrow. We think that we'll have more time tomorrow or down the road. Charles Spurgeon wrote, Tomorrow never comes. It is in no calendar except the almanac of fools. David in the Psalms wrote, Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Because the time for us to walk in wisdom toward outsiders is now, not tomorrow, not next week, but today, making the best use of the time, Paul said. Verse 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Our speech is to be gracious. In other words, wholesome, true, gentle, loving, pointing to Jesus, giving him the glory. That doesn't mean our speech is to be flattering and false because we're too wimpy to speak the truth. It means that our truth is spoken in love. Our speech is also to be seasoned with salt. Salt purifies it kills the bad. Salt also preserves. It makes the good last longer. And salt seasons. It improves the taste. That's how our speech is to be. Jesus in the Beatitudes said, you are the salt of the earth. He didn't say, I am the salt of the earth. Jesus said much more profound things about himself. He said, you are the salt of the earth. You and I are the ones that he has placed here to proclaim his name to the world. And we do it through prayer. We do it through our walk. And we do it through our talk. And because this is a difficult task, we don't do it alone. We need fellowship. In the next eight verses, Paul shows us the level of fellowship that he depended on for his own strength as a Christian. Because not even Paul was a one-man show. 
Proverbs tells us that iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Each of us needs that. Even Paul needed that. So starting in verse 7, Paul lists eight friends who were there for him. They helped him, encouraged him, provided for him, kept him accountable. Many of these people had been with Paul for years. They were an indispensable asset to Paul's ministry. Verse 7, Tychicus. Paul calls him a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Tychicus had been with Paul since his third missionary journey. He's the one who carried Paul's letter to Colossae. Verse 9, Onesimus, who Paul called our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. Onesimus, the runaway slave, who by God's providence met Paul in Rome while Paul was in prison. He became a believer and accompanied Tychicus back to Colossae, back to his master Philemon, whom he had run away from. Verse 10, Aristarchus. Paul called him my fellow prisoner. For good reason, Aristarchus was from Thessalonica, and for years he had gone through the same persecution as Paul. He was dragged into the theater along with Paul during the riot at Ephesus back in Acts 19. He accompanied Paul on a ship voyage to Rome in Acts 27, and he continues alongside Paul as a fellow prisoner. Also in verse 10, Mark Paul told the Colossian church to welcome him. This is the same Mark who had abandoned Paul and Barnabas back in Acts 13. But something changed in Mark. He's now with Paul, helping him. Later on, when Paul was about to be killed, in his last letter to Timothy, Paul said, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in the ministry. That's what Jesus does. He transformed Mark from one who was unreliable into one who was indispensable. Mark ended up giving us the gospel of Mark, writing under the guidance of Peter. Verse 11, justice. Paul says, these men have been a comfort to me. We don't know anything about justice. He's not listed anywhere else in the Bible. But this unknown man provided such needed fellowship for Paul that he's forever mentioned here in the book of Colossians. Verse 12, Epaphras. Paul says, he is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Epaphras was the Colossian church's pastor. He was a resident of Colossae. He founded the church in Colossae. And he had gone to see Paul for guidance on how to deal with heresies that had found their way into the local churches. In verse 13, Paul says that Epaphras has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Aeropolis. Laodicea and Aeropolis were neighboring towns near Colossae. They were all in the same valley, close by like Mackinac and Hopedale, nearby towns where people knew each other, where Epaphras had worked hard to make Christ known. <clears throat> Verse 14, Luke. 
Paul calls him the beloved physician. Luke joined Paul all the way back during his second missionary journey, and he remained with Paul right up until Paul's death. When Paul wrote his last letter to Timothy, he said, Luke alone is with me. Under Paul's mentorship, Luke gave us a huge chunk of the New Testament with the books of Luke and Acts. In fact, Luke is the only Gentile to have written any of the Bible. Also in verse 14, Demas. Demas was a fair weather friend. Here today, gone tomorrow. He would later abandon Paul and fall away from the faith. In Paul's last letter to Timothy, he wrote, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. That happens, sadly. Many of us in here have experienced fellowship with somebody who appeared to be a brother or sister in Christ, only to have them abandon their fellowship and their faith. It happened to Jesus with Judas. It happened to Paul with Demas. But in this moment, all eight of these friends were a huge support and encouragement to Paul. He needed that, especially while he was in chains in prison. You and I need that. And now at the end of the letter, Paul gives his own greetings. In verse 15, he says, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha in the church in her house. Nympha hosted a church in Laodicea. Verse 16, And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Paul wanted his letters shared among the local churches, not because he thought so highly about himself and the letters he wrote, but because he thought so highly of his Savior. He wanted them to know as much as possible about Jesus. The letter from Laodicea that Paul mentioned, we don't know for certain what that letter was. There's good reason to believe that it was the letter to Ephesians because Paul sent both of those letters out at the same time with the intent that they be cycled through the local churches. It could have also, though, been another letter that was lost. In verse 17, Paul has them pass on his message to Archippus, saying, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Archippus was probably Philemon's son. He's from a godly home, and Paul encourages him to continue his ministry. Verse 18, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Paul says this a lot at the end of his letters because he would have a trained scribe write while he dictated, but then Paul himself would handwrite his final greeting. That's it. That's the end of Paul's letter to Colossians. In these closing remarks, he exhorted us to pray steadfastly with thanksgiving for us, he said. He challenged us to walk with wisdom, making the best use of the time, with speech that is gracious, seasoned with salt. He showed us the value of fellowship, naming eight people who were precious to him while he was in prison. 
And he gave us his customary final greetings. Nothing out of the ordinary. But then Paul says something remarkable. He makes a final statement that the Colossian church would never forget. Just as Abraham Lincoln hammered home his Gettysburg Address with the promise that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. And just as JFK in his inaugural address left his audience with, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Paul also leaves the Colossian church with a statement that would be unforgettable to them. In verse 18, Paul says, remember my chains. It's kind of a weird statement. Why did Paul want them to remember his chains? To make them feel guilty? To one-up them? To show how incredible of a Christian Paul was compared to them? I'm in prison. You are not. Remember my chains. That's not the reason. Why was Paul in chains to begin with? Because Paul was so transformed by the love of Jesus that he was on a mission to teach Jesus, share Jesus, proclaim Jesus, live for Jesus to such a degree that the world couldn't put up with it, so they put him in chains in prison. Paul could have preached any number of religious messages and never wound up in chains. He could have preached social justice. He could have preached to be a better person. He could have preached for the people to work harder to earn God's approval. And none of these would have landed him in chains. But Paul insisted that it was all about Jesus. That Jesus is king over all creation. That Jesus is our savior. That Jesus is the only way. And that is what landed him in chains. He was so passionate about sharing Jesus Christ with the world that he was willing to pay any price, even prison, even death. Remember my chains, Paul said, because Paul's chains were a direct reminder to him and to the Colossian church that Jesus is worth it. That was Paul's entire focus on this letter to the Colossians. This entire letter that we have just spent weeks going through, it is about Jesus. The letter was not about being religious. It wasn't about self-help. It wasn't written to make you fight for a cause. It was a letter with one topic, and that topic was Jesus. That's what the book of Colossians is about. Let me give you a quick refresher. Chapter 1, verse 1, the opening verse. Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus. Chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Paul thanks God because of their faith in Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 10. We're called to bear fruit in every good work and increase our knowledge of Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 13. God delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 14, in Jesus we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Verse 16, by Jesus 
All things were created. Verse 17, Jesus is before all things. In Jesus, all things hold together. Verse 18, Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the beginning. Jesus is preeminent. Verse 19, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Verse 20, Jesus reconciled to himself all things, making peace by the blood of his cross. Verse 22, Jesus has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death. Verse 24, Paul rejoices in his sufferings for their sake because of Jesus. Verse 27, Paul defines the mystery, which is Jesus in you. Chapter 2, Verse 5, Paul rejoices to see the firmness of their faith in Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 7, we're called to be rooted and built up in Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 9, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Chapter 2, verse 10, Jesus is the head of all rule and authority. Verse 12, you were buried with Jesus in baptism. You were also raised with Jesus through faith. Verse 13, you who were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Chapter, or verse 14, the record of debt that we owed, Jesus canceled it. Jesus set it aside, nailing it to the cross. Chapter 3, verse 3, you have died and your life is hidden with Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 4. When Jesus, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. The reason we put off our old self, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, is because our new self is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 11, there is no difference between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, because Jesus is all and in all. Verse 12, we are to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience so that we might be more like Jesus. Verse 13, just as Jesus has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Are you guys starting to see a theme in the book of Colossians? Chapter 3, verse 15, let the peace of Jesus rule in your hearts. Verse 16, let the word of Jesus dwell in you richly. Verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to Jesus. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives because we're called to love like Jesus. Verse 20, children, obey your parents for this pleases Jesus. Verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for Jesus and not for men. Chapter 4. Verse 2, we pray with thanksgiving because of Jesus. Verse 3, we pray for open doors to declare to the lost the mystery of Jesus. Chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, we are to walk in wisdom and use gracious speech in order to proclaim Jesus. 
verses 7 through 17. Paul sends special greetings from eight of his dear friends, and he extends his own greetings to those in the Colossian church because they all share a common love for Jesus. And finally, chapter 4, verse 18, Paul says, remember my chains. What could Paul possibly be talking about? Remember my chains, not because it's something special to be a prisoner, but because Jesus is worth it. That's why the Colossian church would never forget Paul's words. Remember my chains. Because Paul's chains had everything to do with Jesus. Paul could have fought for all sorts of causes and he would have never ended up in prison. But he, it wasn't a cause that he was promoting. It was Jesus. He was so transformed by the love of Jesus that he was compelled to preach Jesus wherever he went. Remember my chains. Remember that Jesus is king over all creation. Remember that Jesus is your one and only hope. Remember that Jesus shed his blood for you. Remember my chains. Remember that Jesus is worth it. That's the book of Colossians. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God. May your son be magnified in our lives. Just as Paul was willing to go to prison, willing to die, just as you yourself, Lord Jesus, called us to count the cost, you exhorted us to take up our cross daily to deny ourselves to follow you because you are worth it. Thank you for this great letter that magnifies your name, that reminds us, teaches us, shows us of your greatness, your holiness, your deity, the fact that you are God, that you came down to purchase us. We see these great words in Colossians, like we have been redeemed, we have been reconciled, we have been forgiven, all because of you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for this book that we have gone through. Thank you, Jesus, that you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our lives. May we be willing to worship you in chains, whatever the cost, knowing that you are worth it. We love you, Lord God. We thank you for your precious son, Jesus. And it is in his name that we pray this. Amen. After Paul told the Colossian church, remember my chains, he then finished his letter saying, grace be with you. And so I now leave you with those same words, grace be with you. This concludes our service. You're all welcome to stay for lunch now in the all-purpose room. <laughs>